Welcome to Crosspoint Community Church. We are here to help each other worship, live, and rescue like Jesus. For more info on who we are, go to cpmodesto.org. While you are there, you can learn more about who we are as a church, see the time and locations of our weekend gatherings, and see the different reoccurring ministries that happen on a weekly basis. Thanks so much for listening. We hope you feel inspired and moved by what God is doing here at Crosspoint. Welcome to Crosspoint again. So glad that you are here with us this morning. Uh, my name is Kyle. I am one of the pastors here at Crosspoint. And uh, today we're going to be looking at uh, Colossians the end of chapter 1 and the beginning of chapter 2. And so we're going to start reading in Colossians 1.24. And so if you want to follow along, we always recommend that. Uh, you can look it up on your device if you have that, or if you have a physical Bible with you, great. If you don't have either of those uh, ways to kind of follow along, there is a Bible in the information rack in front of you, and you're totally welcome to grab that and read along with that. Um, as you guys get situated there, though, uh, just to kind of catch us up from where we've been, last week we started a series. We started this series on Colossians that we're going to be working on. We're going to go through the entire book of Colossians, and what we discover pretty quickly in this letter is that all of this is meant to help us understand who we are. That's a question that each and every human being who has ever lived has asked, right? Who am I? Like, who actually am I? And what am I here for? And, and, and what is my purpose here? And we, we go so often to so many different things to try to find out who we are. And we try to place our identity in all kinds of different stuff. But what Colossians really clearly lays out for us is that who we are is linked and dependent on who Jesus is, especially those of us in the room this morning who have surrendered our life over to Jesus now who we are is linked and determined and aligned with who Jesus is. And for us to really get who we are, we really need to understand who Jesus is. Paul uses the phrase a lot in this book of being in Christ. And that's, that's what really the best version of who we are looks like, is when we are in Christ, when we, are, when we look and act and think like Jesus. Matt did a great job last week, um, and Paul just like laid it out really clearly at the beginning uh, of this letter that that's what everything else is going to build on. And today we're actually taking kind of a, a slightly different shift uh, because this this passage we're looking at today, you might look at it and think, oh, it's just like a transitionary passage. But there's some really incredible truth that I believe has big impact for our lives if we take the time to to uh, look a little more deeply in there. Before we get into the actual passage we're going to look at today, kind of a rhetorical question, you don't have to answer it, but have you ever, do you ever get to a spot in your day or in your life, maybe it's like when you first wake up in the morning, you put your feet on the ground, you're getting ready to, to get up and, and move on with your day, maybe it's at the end of your day when you're getting ready to go to sleep, maybe it's like somewhere in the middle, you're like on like coffee cup number like 10 in the middle of the day, and you just, all the things of life kind of pile on you and, and you, you stop for a moment. You're like, man, I'm like really tired. Like, ever, does it ever just like hit you like that? Like you're going, you think you're all right and then you're like, man, I feel like I've run out of energy right now. Like I'm, I'm tired. I don't know if I have the energy necessary to do the rest of the things that I need to do throughout this day. I, I have four kids ranging from one years old to eight years old and I completely blame them for my, in my life for being tired. Like 100%, it's their fault. That's why I'm tired. I, I, will, I will commit to that till the, the day I'm dead. But um, oftentimes, in the relationship that I have with my kids, 
they're important to me and I want to give them time and affection and, and attention and energy, but oftentimes I get to the end of the day and I don't know if any parents would be honest enough to say this about you, but at the end of the day, it's like, man, I did not give them everything they needed today. I tried, I, I wanted to, but I just, seems like I was lacking a little bit in the energy that I wanted to give my kids um, to make sure that they know that they're cared for and that, and that they're loved. And maybe it's not kids, maybe it's something else, but I think there are things in our lives that we want to give time and attention attention to, we want to give energy to, but sometimes we find ourselves lacking in that. Um, it's interesting, when I think of a time in my life before I had before I had kids, back in my early 20s, uh, my wife and I, Megan, like we didn't have kids, and the decisions that we made mostly were determined by how much it was going to cost us monetarily, financially, right? Because we were, we were young, we had like college debt, we were just getting started, uh, we didn't have really much money at all. And so most, and we're also we're just kind of inherently cheap people, uh, and, and almost every decision we made, like it came down to a dollar amount. And so we would like constantly roll the dice on like expiration dates on food, and we would like, we would pick like the worst possible seat with the worst possible flight plan on an airplane if it meant saving a few dollars. We'd like sleep in the car all the time. We would find like the, any way possible, we would, we would arrange so many decisions in our lives based around saving a few dollars. Now fast forward to, I'm, I'm 33 years old now, I have four kids, as I said, and I'm no longer dealing in monetary currency when I'm thinking about making decisions. I'm dealing in a new kind of currency, and that's no longer how much money is this going to cost me, although obviously we're being like good stewards and stuff. But we make a lot of decisions based around how much energy is this going to cost me? No, like I would, I would be willing to lose out on a few dollars if it meant that I could save a little bit of energy because it seems like it's in such short supply and there's so many places that need it. And so maybe you're like in a similar spot in life as me and you're like, yeah, I definitely agree with that. Maybe you're a little bit further down the road and you can remember back to that. And if you haven't got there yet, have fun when you get there. Um, it's, just a re- it's just a reality that sometimes these like, what's important to us kind of shifts and even like the currency that we're dealing with kind of shifts. And that's where I find myself. But one thing I've learned, even though now I am making a lot of decisions based around how much energy is it gonna cost me, um, I still find this to be true. The things that I care about, the things that I'm passionate about, still get all the energy they need to be accomplished. I think that's true for all of us, right? If there's something that you really care about, you Find a way to give it the passion and energy that it deserves. One example that I'll give you, it's kind of dumb, but it's, it's a reality in my life. My wife, Megan, is incredibly passionate about Halloween. Now, before you get out your pens and get ready to write like notes to the church, like just listen. She's passionate about the costume part of Halloween. She is like so creative and she is so good at taking a bunch of junk and turning it into this incredible costume. And we kind of started this tradition when we first got married a while ago and uh, we, we did these couple's costumes. And then as kids started to come into the mix, then they started to get a little bit bigger. And each and every year, it feels like this snowball that keeps growing where there's like, there's more kids in the mix, like the bar keeps going up each and every year and the things get more elaborate and we're adding like vehicles and apparatuses and it's just getting bigger and bigger and I'm just waiting for the thing to pop. Um, But we've been like Mario characters, we've been like Star Wars characters this last year, we were a bunch of like classic PBS characters and we love it. And honestly, it's, 
judge me if you want, it's become a little bit like a tiny piece of my identity, right? We're, like, we're, the, we're the family costume people, and we really enjoy that, and it's really important to us. And because it's important to us, we give it a ton of time and energy, right? I spend a ton of time researching, trying to find good and creative ideas and how they'll work for us. Uh, Megan spends a ton of time going to all sorts of thrift stores to find stuff so that we can make these costumes. We'll go through these boxes of literal just junk that we keep for costume making and try to find things that'll work. And I literally learned how to sew for making Halloween costumes. No other reason. I couldn't sew pants, like, for anything useful if I tried, but I could sew together a Chewbacca outfit, you know? Like, and so I literally did that, and, and there has been multiple times throughout this process, throughout the years of making our, our Halloween costumes where the kids are asleep, they're enjoying their rest, and Megan and I are up at, like, 1 and 2 in the morning just, like, gluing things together and sewing stuff up. Like, I have... I have stories to tell and scars I could show you as a result of our commitment to this whole Halloween costume thing that we do. And that's, that's ridiculous, I know, but it's important to us, so we put time and energy into it. I think that same thing is true for each and every one of us. Now, I would guess, don't step on our toes, I would guess that not anyone in here is that passionate about family Halloween costumes, but it's probably something for, your, for, for each and every person in here. Maybe it's like your health and wellness. Like it's important to you that you're healthy and that you're, you're fit and that uh, you, you have like a good, you're good at exercise or whatever. Obviously I'm not, that's becoming very apparent. But because you're committed to like wellness and health, like you will get up early, you will go to the gym, you'll eat food that tastes terrible, but it's really good for you and you're willing to walk through that process, right? Maybe it's you're really committed, really passionate about providing like safety and comfort and security for your family. And so you work really hard at your job so that you can have the money to be able to provide those things for your family. There's all kinds of great things that we care a lot about that get a lot of our time and energy. Of course, there's other things in our life that maybe would be a little bit more destructive where you really care a lot about that next drink or that next high or that next relationship and all of your time and energy is spent focusing on that. What I think is really true, and I think we need to recognize, is that the things that we believe are most important to us, we always, always, always find a way to have passion and energy for them. Every single time. So why bring this up? What does this have to do with Colossians? What does this have to do with church this morning? Well, I think uh, this passage in Colossians, we get to see an example of someone who found all the passion and energy he needed for something that he recognized as really, really important. And honestly, it's not just him. Every person in here who is a follower of Jesus, this should be really, really important to us. This person we're talking about here is Paul, the person who wrote this passage. And this, these 10 verses are just super classic Paul writing. There's a billion run-on sentences, and he just uses a ton of, like, deep language. And anytime I read through Paul, honestly, I usually have to go back and try it again a couple times to really grasp, like, what in the world are you trying to say? And so that's kind of what we're going to do this morning. We're going to go through it slowly. We're going to take pauses, make sure we're all on the same page of, of what Paul is trying to say. And then what we're going to do is we're going to pull back out a little bit. We're going to look at it from a little bit of a different angle. And we're going to, we're going to discover 
what makes Paul so passionate and so full of energy for the mission of the church, for the things that God has called him to. So let's look at this together. You're welcome to follow along. We're gonna start reading at verse 24. Here's what he says. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. And in my flesh, I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. Okay, so what is he saying here? Is he saying like the sufferings that Jesus endured isn't quite enough for you guys? No, 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 not at all. We can't read into it that at all. But what he is saying is I am so game to go through whatever I need to go through so that you have a clear, complete picture of Jesus. He says, I would gladly endure anything that I needed to so that you have the opportunity to really see Jesus clearly. He's like, that is why I do what I do. This is what I have been called to so that you can Uh, know Jesus and the word of God can be fully known in your life. And here's the deal. Paul has the actions to back up this statement. It'd be one thing if he said, I rejoice in the sufferings when he like got made fun of once or something like that. We, if you read through Paul's story, you read through the New Testament, man, he lost his whole community when he chose to follow Jesus. He had been run, he's been run out of cities over and over again. He's been put in jail over and over again. He's been beaten. He's been stoned. He has endured a lot. And he says, I would endure it all again so that you could see Jesus clearly. In fact, I rejoice in my sufferings if it's for you guys, if it's for your sake. Talking to this church that he's writing to. He goes on in verse 26 to say, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. What is he saying here? He's saying, I have exactly what you're looking for. Every single person recognizes that something is off in them. I don't care who you are, every person, if we stop for long enough, we begin to recognize, man, something is off in here. And every person in this room who knows Jesus recognizes that we have found the solution to that, to that problem. And that's what Paul is saying here. It doesn't matter if you're a Jew or a Gentile, whether you know Jesus or not. He's like, there was this mystery that was hidden for such a long time of the person that could set everything right. And he's like, that person has been revealed and that person is Jesus. Before you weren't quite sure what it was or how to get there, but he's like, I want you to understand this so clearly. It is Jesus. And when Jesus is in you, And when you have relationship with him, there is hope for a life that you couldn't even imagine, a life that is so much better than where you came from. He refers to it as the hope of glory. Verse 28, he continues and says, him we proclaim, Jesus we proclaim. Jesus is the message. Always Jesus, no more than Jesus. Jesus over every single thing we say and do. He says, him we proclaim. That's what we talk about. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. He's like, you cannot shut me up about Jesus. 
because I want you to know the full picture. I want you to know what's at stake and I want you to know what's ahead and I want you to grow up in your relationship with Jesus, knowing him more and more and acting like him more and more. He's like, that's what I'm about. Verse 29, for this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. Man, put a pin in that verse. That's the linchpin for this whole passage of scripture. But he says, this is why I do what I do. This is why I work so hard, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. I want to see God do things through me for your benefit, is what he's saying. That's why I work so hard at this. Jumps to chapter two. Says this, for I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged being knit together in love to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, again, the mystery which is Christ, in whom all hidden or in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. He says, I want you to understand how desperately I care about you. I want you to understand how passionate I am about you and for the people over in Laodicea and the people that I've not even seen face to face, but I am passionate about you being encouraged and I am passionate about you being knit together in love and I am passionate about you having assurance and confidence in your relationship with Jesus and understanding uh, who Jesus is and what he can do in your life. I want you to have a full understanding of that. And I struggle greatly so that you can do that. Verse four, it says, I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments, that you, that you don't get confused, that you don't get it twisted, that you keep with what you've heard, the truth of the gospel. And he ends with verse five, for though I am absent in body, he wasn't there geographically with them. For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit rejoicing to see your good order in the firmness of your faith in Christ. He's really excited to hear how well they're doing. He's really excited to hear how much they are growing and and how firm they are standing in their relationship with Jesus. Okay, so there's a lot in here. There's a lot of stuff we could look at in here, but what are we meant to see and what are we meant to see this morning? Honestly, I don't know if I'm just kind of a cynical person. It's probably accurate, but when I read through this at first, it just kind of seems like he's doing like a big humble brag. You know what that is? Where it's, where it's like, I'm, I'm kind of bragging about myself, but it looks like I'm self-sacrificing in the process. Like at first, it's kind of like, man, it's great that you have a church over there. Uh, I've, been, I've gone through a lot. I just want you to know that. And really, it's, it's all been for you. And, and I'm just like really passionate that you guys do the right thing. But, but just know like I have endured a lot so that you can do that. Like I am struggling greatly. I am like toiling greatly for you guys. That's how I read it at first. But obviously, that's not what he's doing, right? I think if I can like take off my like cynical glasses and just look at this with a little bit of optimism, like what we see here is we see a man, Paul, who is super passionate, super, super passionate about making sure people really know Jesus and making sure that the mission of the church is moving forward. It's a cool little insight into the heart and mind of Paul. So much much of his writing is, is spent explaining theological truths or defending his ministry against people who are hating against it. But 
this is kind of a unique spot where we just kind of get to see him super pumped about what he's doing, about the work that God has called him to. He's really, really excited about it. He's excited about people knowing Jesus. He's excited about the mission of the church moving forward and advancing God's kingdom. And when I say the mission of the church, I think we need to understand, I'm talking the big church. I'm not talking just within these walls. Uh, We're a part of the church, but there are people on the other side of the planet that are a part of the church, people down the road who are part of the church, the big church. We all have our own little pockets and communities and own little flavors of doing things, but really we are all contributing toward the same mission and have all been called to the same mission. And what is that mission? To make Jesus' name great everywhere we go. Last thing Jesus told his disciples before he ascended back into heaven was to go and make disciples. Get out of here. Go tell people about what you have seen and heard. Make sure they understand that it is exactly what they have been waiting for. Show it to them through your words. Show it to them through your actions. Show it through them how you treat other people around them. Show it to them how you're a citizen in the place that you live. Show it to them however you can possibly show it to them. That that, that Jesus has come so that you can go from death to life and so that you can go from hopelessness to a life marked by hope and that, and that you can go from a life that has no meaning to a life that is full of meaning. He says, get out of here and go make sure people know that. That is not something he just told his disciples. That is something he told every person who follows him, which includes every person in this room who has given their life to Jesus. Now, here's where the problem comes in so often. I think it's really easy sometimes, especially those of us who've been around the church for a while. It's easy to kind of separate out that there's a few different like levels of, of follower of Jesus, right? Um, and that really this, this being passionate and, and having a ton of energy for, for God's mission, that's kind of like a certain echelon of Christian. That's like the super spiritual people. Maybe even they get paid to do it, but that's their job to, to do ministry, to spread the gospel, to tell other people about Jesus, Man, I can't, I can't say it enough. Nothing could be farther from the truth. That every single person who has been saved by Jesus now has a whole new set of things to do in life. It's not, Jesus' salvation, the salvation he offers us isn't dependent on what we do, but because he's changed us, we have a whole new directive in life. See, I think... I, 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 I've heard this before and probably you have too, but um, I think it's a really awesome truth that Jesus has not just saved us from a whole bunch of things that are bad. He saved us to a whole new way of doing things. Jesus didn't just save us from our slavery. He has saved us to freedom, right? He hasn't just saved us from our brokenness. He saved us to healing. He hasn't just saved us from, uh, from hell. We don't just get our like free ticket out of hell card and we get to sit in these nice comfortable pews for the rest of our life. No, he's called us to do something. He's called us to partner with him in what he is doing around the world. There are no categories of Jesus followers. We are all a part of this, whether you gave your life to Jesus yesterday or you gave it to him decades ago. We are all called to be part of the mission that God wants to accomplish in this world. And it's a pleasure and it's an honor. It's a privilege to get to be a part of that. We get to see someone in this passage who's so excited about it. Paul just seems so excited to be part of this mission. And I look at him and I, and I say, man, I wanna be like that. 
I want to have that amount of passion and energy for the things of God, for the, the mission that he has given us as his followers. And I think that the way that we do that is by being very sure in who we are in him. So in the larger context of of the letter to the Colossians and its main theme of identity, this is the truth I see in this passage that we're gonna unpack a little bit here. When we know who we are in Jesus, when we really know who we are in Jesus, it will lead to energy for the mission of Jesus. Even in a world where we have to decide what energy to put where, when we really know who we are in him, it will lead to energy for the mission of Jesus. And I think the opposite is actually true as well. That if, that if we don't care, if we don't have passion for God's mission in this world, maybe it's possible we don't know him as well as we thought we did. I've been wrestling with this a lot. And I, and I have at times throughout my life and my relationship with Jesus. And I, I won't put this on you because I can't and I shouldn't and I won't. But as I've wrestled with it, I've kind of come to one of two conclusions. If, if I can be one of those followers of Jesus who's just really glad that Jesus saved me, but is totally okay with just shrugging off being a part of his mission to make his name known everywhere I go, if I can kind of be one of those Christians who are like, well, I'm not like really into telling other people about Jesus. I'm glad he saved me, but like that's someone else's job. Like if I ever get to that point, for me, being honest, following it to its logical end, I find myself in one of two places. Either I don't know Jesus as well as I thought I did, or I do and I just don't care. Either one of those spots is a big problem, right? Either I don't know him as well as I thought I did, or I do and I just don't care. And I don't know if anyone in this room is ready to go quite that far yet, but one thing I know for sure in my life is that's not who I wanna be. I don't wanna be a person who doesn't get a massive part of Jesus' heart. And I don't wanna be the kind of person who's just straight up rebelling, even though I know better. Instead, I look at Paul in this passage and I look at other people in my life and other people throughout Christian history and and, and I look at them and say, I wanna be like those people. I wanna have energy and passion and I wanna get creative and I want to constantly be looking for ways to further God's kingdom and be part of his mission in this world. And I think that that's probably true of most of us in here. If you're here and you're a follower of Jesus, it's, it's probably true that you want that to, to be accurate of your life as well. But how do we do that? Because let's be honest, I mean, I'll speak for myself. It's really easy to take the allotted amount of energy I have for my life and put it a bunch of places. And it's really easy for, for me to not give the amount of energy or passion to God's mission that probably it deserves. I know that's really easy for me. So what do I do? What do I do to make sure that the the mission that God has given me, and it kind of looks different for each person, but it all has the same heart. How how do I give that the amount of passion and energy it deserves? And I think think for me, I think for probably most of us, it comes down to kind of checking our motivations. When I look at Paul's life and I look at why he was so passionate and full of energy for God's mission, I think it comes down to a few of his motivations, ones in his life and ones that can be true in our life. And so we're actually gonna work through the passage backwards now. And we're gonna, we're gonna see what motivated him. How could he sit there enduring all that he endured and still be so pumped and so excited and have so much energy for what God is doing in his life and through his ministry? What, were, what motivated him to do that? 
The first one that I see in this passage is Paul is motivated by a genuine love for all people. He was motivated by a genuine love for all people. Uh, it's oozing out of every verse in this passage, right? He's like, man, I'll gladly go through this stuff if it meant that you could see Jesus. Like, this is why I work. This is why I toil, because I care about you guys. And in fact, I might not have even met most of you guys, but I care deeply about you. See, I think for us to have passion and energy for the mission of Jesus, we need to have passion and energy for the people Jesus loves. If we are seeing a disconnect in our passion and energy for what God has called us to do, a good place to look is, do I have that same level of passion? Do I have care and love and energy for people that Jesus cares about? What that means is we don't get to draw lines around who we are going to love and how much we are going to love. And I know none of us would say that we would ever do that, but practically we all do, don't we? We're really good at loving us and ours. We're really good at loving people where it's easy. We're really good at loving people that we determine are worth risking for and worth stepping out and loving. We're really good at that, but somewhere along the line, we tend to, to draw some boundaries. If we're really gonna love people the way Jesus says, we don't get to do that. An awesome, uh, awesome example of that is the, the video that we got to see earlier today of Don Rowe. And he would absolutely hate that his face was up there on the screen. He's just a really humble guy. Uh, but I have never seen Don draw a line that says, I will love you to this point. Or I will love people but not past this. And I don't know if you've ever known Don. He can run literal and figurative circles around probably anyone in this room. Like he is like the energizer buddy, he, bunny. He has as much passion as, and, and energy as anyone I have ever met. And I totally believe that one of the contributing factors to that is because he has a genuine love for all people. He, did not, he does not draw lines on, on whether he's gonna love someone according to their, their gender or skin color or sexual orientation or socioeconomic status or what side of town they live on or, or what their political opinions are or what they post on Facebook or what their immigration status is. He's not, he's not drawing lines around any of those things. And I think if we really want to see God do incredible things in our midst, in this church, in this community, we cannot draw a line and say, I will love people until it gets to this point. Jesus modeled that perfectly for us, didn't he? He loved people, even the people who put him on the cross and put him to death. We need to follow his example. And that will bring and breed passion and energy for what he's called us to do. The second thing that seems to motivate Paul in this passage is he recognizes that he has what the world has been waiting for. That, that he knows Jesus and Jesus is what everyone has been waiting for. He takes time to describe that mystery that, that has been hidden for so long but is now on full display in the person of Jesus. And he's like, if I have the answer to the question that you have, why in the world would I not share it with you. Here's a really, it's an old example, but in light of like what's going on in the world right now, it's like a pretty compelling example. So if, if you were a person who all of a sudden just found out exactly what you needed to do to like eradicate like the coronavirus right now, um, which depending on what kind of social media you look at is either like the end of the world or like not a big deal at all. But one thing we, we can all agree on is it's like a nasty bug and a lot of people are afraid because of it, right? And so Imagine being the person who's like, man, I just came across some information that, that, that is exactly what the world needs to deal with this. And then you just sit on that information. You don't do anything with it. 
I mean, what kind of person are you if you do that, right? Could you imagine if we use like the same excuses that so often we use to try to justify our lack of passion or a lack of energy for the things of God and the mission of God? Could you imagine if we applied that to that scenario? Well, like, okay, here's the deal. It's soccer season, and, like, we're really, really busy, and, you know, I have a job, and I spend a lot of time there, and, you know, we're doing, like, a remodel in our house, and it's just, it's not a good time in my life. Maybe a few years down the road, I'd be happy to kind of share that with some people if, you know, if it comes up and if life gets a little bit easier. I mean, could you imagine being the person who would say, well, I just don't know how they'll take it. I mean, what if they don't believe me? What if they think I'm crazy? What if I lose a relationship because of this? Yeah, yeah, I know like people are hurting and I know that there's like collateral while I'm like waiting around, but like it just seems like it will cost a little too much in my relationship or, or there's a little too much risk there. And so maybe I'll get around to it sometime. Those excuses seem so silly when you look at them in light of something like the coronavirus, which everyone's so afraid of, but... How much, how much greater are the stakes of people's souls, their relationship to Jesus? See, I think that if we're really gonna have passion and energy, we got to realize, man, we have what people are looking for, even if they don't even know they're looking for it. And it's not to puff ourselves up or to, or to be arrogant, just to be accurate, that Jesus is what people need. Why in the world would we not bring it up as often as possible and model it as often as possible for people? The last motivation that I see in this passage goes back to the very first verse in it. Paul's motivated by what Jesus has done. He takes time right at the very beginning to talk about all that Jesus went through on our behalf. He's motivated by what Jesus has done. And really, this is the motivation that motivates all the other motivations. When, when we recognize what Jesus has done for us, it is compelling. We just had a moment where we got to remember what Jesus has done for us. How like the bread was broken, Jesus' body was literally broken so that we could be healed. Like as the, as the blood was poured out, we were brought in to relationship with God. Listen, I've been, I've been around the church my whole life and I have heard what Jesus has done for me explained a hundred different ways, a thousand different times. And every time that I've actually stopped and let the weight of what Jesus has done sink deep into my soul, it has been compelling to me to take action. And every person who knows him, is the, it's the exact same situation. When we maintain that connection to Jesus, when we remember what he has done, it's going to give us all the passion and energy we need to do what God has called us to do. We just gotta keep going back to it. We gotta keep remembering it because Jesus is all that we'll ever need. Let me give you like a physical example real quick as we kind of head toward the end here. Um, I'm a really bad dad. I stole this blanket from my son Judah and, and it, you don't think that's a big deal, but this is a big deal in my house, all right? Uh, I have no idea what the scene was when they all woke up this morning, and I am happy to deal with the consequences of that later on today. So call me Paul. I rejoice in the suffering that I'm going to endure to bring this to you today, all right? Um, so this is a little blanket that we bought for Judah, my son, uh, when he was just a baby. He's six now. Um, is this a blanket we got when he was just a little baby? And it's not literally this blanket. They're like goldfish. When they die, you just replace them and pretend like it's the same one, right? Um, and at first, it just sat in the car seat with him because babies can't do anything. But as, as he started to grow a little bit, he, he began doing this habit where he would, uh, he would mess with the tags, right? And that's, that's 
expected. This is that's what this is for. It's kind of like a sensory thing, and it feels nice on their fingers. But he would he would have really specific way of doing this. He would he would rub the tag like that. All right. And at first we were just like, oh, that's cute. It's just like a little thing he does. And and it it was a while before we realized just how it. There's no other way to say it. Addicted he was to doing this. It wasn't until we, he kind of went through this phase where he decided to come join us in our bed every single night for a while. And if you're one of those parents who's like, I would never let my kid do that. Okay. Uh, <laughs> like, thanks for the parenting advice. But he would come in like every night and I'd be like, what is this kid doing? Is he like having a wrestling match next, next to me? Or like, what's the deal? Because he would do this the entire night. Like the entire night while he was asleep, he was just, I don't know, he just kept doing it. And we're like, this is kind of weird, but whatever. And as he got a little bit older and he was able to like verbalize, like at least in his head, what was going on here, he began to tell us like the reason that he did that is so that he could get in his word, in his words, uh, his energies. Now, He's, he's not a new age kid. He loves Jesus, okay? But that's just, like what, that's just like what he called it. And he was very consistent about this because, let me find it. The red, this red tag gave him a little bit of energy, just when he needed a tiny bit of energy. The, the yellow tag would give him like a medium amount of energy. And where's the, this one over here, this turquoise one, this is the money tag, man. This would, this would give him all the energy he would ever need, right? And he's kind of grown out of it now, which is probably good. But like when he was a little bit younger, like if this thing disappeared, it was a problem. And, and he would constantly go back. He'd find it in the house, wherever it was, and go back to it and, and get, get his energies so that he could go on and do what he needed to do. And I, I'll never forget this one, this one instance where he's in the back of the van, buckled up already. We're trying to get all the rest of the kids buckled up, and we're trying to leave somewhere, which is a process. And he rips off his seatbelt, and he, like, runs into the house. He's frantically looking around. And I, and I follow him, and I was like, dude, what are you doing? And he has this blanket in his hand, and he's like, oh. Okay, I'm ready to go. I, got, I had to get some energies. Like he literally, literally ran from the car back into the house to get, to get some energies so that he could go and do what he needed to do. He was good to go for the rest of the day. Now, what does this have to do with anything? Like dependence on this blanket, probably not great. But I watch like how committed he is to that. And I find myself asking the question, man, is that how I see like my source of passion energy, which we've already established is Jesus? Like, am I going back to him in full dependence and surrender for what I need to be able to do what he's called me to do? Paul says it perfectly in that, uh, in verse 29, going back to that. It says, for this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. His energy. I think that's such an important thing for us to remember. And we're only gonna have proper motivation if we remember this, that this is not something we can drum up on our own. It's not something we can just will into being. It's his energy that allows us to do powerful things in his name. Another, another translation says it like this. It has become my inspiration and passion in ministry to labor with a tireless intensity with his power flowing through me. If we wanna do the things that God has called us to do, if we wanna see our church grow, if we wanna see relationships change, if we wanna see this community change for the better to become more like Jesus, we have to go back to the source of our passion and energy and give his mission exactly what it needs. And the only way we're gonna do that is by maintaining our connection to Jesus. When we do that, I believe that God will do incredibly powerful things through us and through this church. 
We're going to wrap up here, but I want to give you a few application questions. If you're a part of a small group or a community or maybe a friend that talks through these messages, uh, these are some questions that can kind of help facilitate the conversation. This doesn't end in here, right? This has to go out of this room to impact us outside of this place and impact the world around us. But here's a few questions to get it going. They'll also be on the website if you want to check them out later. How have you seen your identity in Jesus affect your energy for his work? How have you seen your understanding of who you are in Jesus affect your energy for his work? Number two, what motivates you to step into the mission to make Jesus known wherever you go? Maybe it's motivations we talked about here. Maybe it's something different. But what excites you? What motivates you to step into that mission? Number three, what disconnects do you see in your life between your identity in Jesus and your work for his mission? Where are things off? Where do things not quite click? And lastly, how can you live out the passion we see in Paul this week in your life? How can you live out the same kind of commitment and passion for God's work throughout this week? Because it's what he's called you to, and he wants to use you powerfully through it. I want to pray for us to close, and I'd like to invite the prayer team to come up. And if you uh, want prayer or if you want to talk through something that you heard this morning, or if you want to know what a next step is to step into the mission that God has called you to, there's lots of opportunities through this church, and there's a bunch more outside the walls of this church in your life. But if you're kind of looking to figure out what your next step is, we'd encourage you to come up, talk to one of these people. They'd be happy to answer some of those questions and talk with you. Let's pray together. Jesus, thank you so much for who you are. Thank you so much for what you've done. Thank you so much, Lord, that you have not left us trying to figure this out on our own, but really, God, you give us everything we need to be exactly who you've called us to be. God, I'm really, really grateful for the mission that you've called us to be a part of. Lord, I pray that we would so resist this idea of just taking everything you offer and then just sitting back and waiting for this whole thing to end. But instead, Lord, even though it's awkward, even though maybe sometimes it costs us, Lord, that we would run full tilt with all the passion and energy we see in Paul, in people throughout history, in you, God, that we would run with full passion and energy toward the things that you have called us to do. And thank you so much for inviting us in to be a part of that. We love you, God. We thank you so much for who you are and what you've done for us. In your awesome name, amen.